The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I'm Lara Unterstall. And I'm Mike Snoonian. And we are joined today by a very special guest. He is a fellow member of the Losers Club and a Dark Tower expert, Dan Flieger. Welcome to the pod. Hey, guys. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. Hey, we're so excited. Yeah. Our uh, resident Dark Tower expert. <laughs> I know. It's on my and business card. Yeah. Kind of a Dune expert, too. So I've been talking to you a little Game bit Game of Thrones, about Dune, that. all the series, yeah. even Harry Potter, <laughs> the Left Behind oh, yeah. series, all of them. I just love like book oh, no, series. No, no, Are you no, serious? No. I, left I, Behind? Left Behind? I'm not joking. Oh, I'm not a religious person, but I just like Armageddon <laughs> and Devils. So. Just our, our Kirk Cameron completist. I've seen yeah. the movie. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> really. Man, talking about killing a crush. Ugh. Oh. Anyways, that's a story for another day. Um, But anyways, this is a comfort horror episode, and we define comfort horror as the scary movies that don't really scare us. They actually make us feel good. And I can't wait to talk about the movie that we are talking about today because it is just bananas. Dan, what movie are we talking about? We are talking about John Carpenter's 1986 masterpiece, Big Trouble (laughs) in Little China. And, you know, I might agree with you on that description because, man, well, I'll save it for my feelings, Jack. (laughs) (laughs) But before we talk about this movie, we are going to give a brief synopsis of Big Trouble in Little China in case you haven't seen it or it's been a while. So here is your spoiler warning. Spoil of a bitch must pay. Uh, I, I love seeing how you're going to get the word spoiler into a reference of yourself. <laughs> I know. Man, this, I know. One was, this one stumped me. I, I, don't, I, I, you know. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right. So before I start, so much happens in this movie. <laughs> so much. This synopsis is going to kill me and you, the listener. I apologize in advance. I'm doing our best to get the, the broad strokes in here. So just strap strap on in. Yeah, I feel like this is the episode where we all should honor Laura as the person who constantly harangues all of my like (laughs) bananas rough drafts into a functional synopsis because this one was rough. (laughs) Hey, you know, we're all just out here (laughs) doing our cutting bottles in half and just editing up. All right. A tourist bus driver named Egg Shen is giving some helpful plot exposition to an attorney. Half a city block has exploded in green flame in San Francisco's Chinatown, and the attorney wants to know the whereabouts of someone named Jack. But Egg says, leave him alone. We are all in his debt. Also, sorcery is real, and he can prove it. Flashback to tough guy truck driver Jack Burton, played by Kurt Russell. He talks Mm. like John Wayne and has a lot of muscles. Yes, he does. He arrives in San Francisco's Chinatown, where he gambles with his old friend Wang Chi and cuts bottles in half with machetes. You know, guy stuff. <laughs> Wang ends up owing Jack some money, but first they go to the airport to pick up Wang's future wife, Mao Yin. He's been sending her money to get to America. She's absurdly beautiful and has green eyes. I swear this is relevant. 
There, Jack spies another green-eyed beauty played by Kim Cattrall. His attempt at flirtation is interrupted by three young punks in sunglasses. Can I say really cool slit sunglasses? I don't yeah. know. Oh they're like, like those glasses. Yeah. My brain exploded when I saw those. It's like I'm wow. just like, how do you see, let alone fight in those? Got a lot of questions. Uh, yeah. Total total chaos breaks out when the punks abduct Mao Yin, who literally just disembarked from a plane. This kicks off the insane action in this movie. That's impossible to describe. <laughs> Jack and Wang hop in Jack's big rig truck and follow the punks to Chinatown. There he turns into an alley that's full of fog and apparently a whole lot of action. There's a funeral on one end and a group of bad guys in black and red outfits on the other. The bad guys open fire on the funeral with machine guns. This kicks off a pretty cool, pretty badass martial arts fight. Jack and Wang watch all of this go down from the cab of Jack's truck. Suddenly, a warrior in a sweet straw hat appears out of an explosion of green flame. Then another one descends from the sky. Then a third dude rolls in with lightning power. The gangs are now united against the three flying warriors, who also have a bunch of spinning knives and blades and are, frankly, a lot. (laughs) Jack is like, let's GTFO and drives off, running over the boss wizard, David (laughs) Lopan. He's somehow fine after getting run over, but so pissed off that he shoots lasers out of his eyes. Wang and Jack run for it and end up back at Wang's family restaurant. There, Jack does a bunch of yelling about what just happened into a phone, including that Lopan's dudes stole his truck, but more importantly, he's wearing a blue silk robe. (laughs) Jen is happy about this. There were lots more comments like this in the original draft. I mean, (laughs) we can have an objectification (laughs) corner for for men at some point. Um, I don't need to do a monthly topic where I just like, <laughs> get right with everything. At some point here, we meet a bunch of other characters, including Eddie Lee, who is a guy in a suit. And also they all know Egg Chen. And they do a lot of talking about how there's black magic and stuff from Chinese folklore. And yeah, it's all real. Gracie Law, attorney at law, rolls in. <laughs> this is Kim Cattrall, and she knows everyone too. Gracie has a lead on where Mao Yin is. It's a brothel, so they dress Jack up like a big nerd and send him in. Can I just say right here that, like, when I saw this outfit, I'm like, this is the before and after picture of, like, Matt Foley, Chris Farley's <laughs> van by down <laughs> He does river. look like Matt Foley. Like, oh my like God. a hot, buff Matt Foley. Living an 18 wheeler down by the river. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Lewis from Ghostbusters, or more specifically mm. Ghostbusters 2, he had a lot of that nerd energy. Yeah, I, yeah. Can I weigh in? That suit is actually the same suit he wears in used cars, which is another oh. curl oh. since they brought okay. it back. Ooh. He does look like a used car salesman, so <laughs> yes. it all ends up. <laughs> Once Jack is inside the brothel, the whole building starts shaking. A plume of supernatural green fire erupts in the sky above and tears the roof right off. The hat warriors are back. They double abduct Mao Yin while Jack flops around. Are we okay? Say, yeah, that building, that brothel was shaking. All right. Oh, God. Yes, the brothel from... is erupting in green flames from the tub. Don't come and knock it. Yeah, yeah. it's from flame. all those sex trafficking, right? The roof is on green fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the roof, the roof is on green fire. We don't need no water. Let the motherfucker burn. Okay. Burn, mother. Uh, Okay, so now now the crew is joined by a reporter named Margot. Jack and the audience have no idea what the fuck is going on. <laughs> but Gracie and Margot connect more dots. They know Mao Yin has been kidnapped by Lo Pan, who is a crime boss, but I don't know if they realize he's also an evil wizard. <laughs> if I had a nickel. Mm-hmm. Jack, Jack and Wang talk slash muscle their way into Lo Pan's HQ. 
There, they get in an elevator, which suddenly fills with water. They swim out into a chamber of chained-up corpses. What is this place? Jack asks. It's the hell of the upside-down sinners, Wang replies. Ah, (laughs) got it. Okay, the three warriors, whose names are Thunder, Rain, and Lightning, take Jack and Wang, strapped into wheelchairs, into a room full of gold statues. Then, a very old guy, also in a wheelchair, comes in to talk to them. This is Mr. David Lopan, Reality Edition. Old as fuck. We're talking three pounds of old age makeup here, folks. This is really like, I have too much shit on me. I don't want to be around anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he's cursed, you see. A 2,000-year-old warlock or some shit who can only walk around as a dream demon. And all he needs <laughs> is to marry a woman with green eyes to make him young again. After getting locked in a cell, Jack gets them both out of the wheelchairs while Eddie, Margot, and Gracie get gassed in an elevator. Yeah, they showed up at the HQ, too, for some reason. <laughs> Thunder, the buffest of the Hat Warriors, brings Eddie into the cell, but Kurt Russell breaks. Oh wait, that's that's. Wait, and also it says Kurt Russ Elf. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. Okay, wait. But Jesus but Jack season. breaks them out and locks Thunder in. <laughs> yeah, those are some kind of one of those Christmas movies he does. Anyway, right. okay. I did watch Hot Santa the other day, so maybe that's. Uh, maybe yeah, that's where that I don't from. know. I don't know about all. Is that the Kurt Russell Santa movie? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We don't. <laughs> Or new title was Hot Santa. He sings in it though, which is kind of a boner killer. Is there a sequel to that now? Is there like he returning Blake's? Okay, I do feel like it's franchised. Yeah, is that what it's called? (laughs) No, (laughs) be amazing. None of them are called Hot Santa. That's what that's Jen's canon. (laughs) Good, good, good. All right, all right. Well, now sorry. (laughs) Having broken out of the cell, Wang, Jack, and Eddie now have guns. Sweet. Lopan turns into his dream demon form and floats through the walls. He's got Mao Yin hovering Sleeping Beauty style in a back room. Also in the catacombs is a girl prison where Gracie Law and Margot are being held. Eddie and Wang fight the lady guards while Jack sneaks in and breaks open the cells. Everyone jumps into a weird pool that leads to the sewers, swimming into a tunnel. After Jack and Gracie reunite on the other side, they share a hot sewer kiss. (laughs) There's a bunch more fighting and some very funny gags as they make their way out. Eventually they do, getting aboard Egg Shen's bus as security guards shoot at them with automatic weapons. But bad news. They didn't notice that Gracie got nabbed by Bigfoot? Is this Bigfoot? <laughs> with red fur and a skeleton demon face? Also, uh, they didn't rescue Mao Yin. Oops. The <laughs> whole really, point. It's kind of a, all a wash, really. Bigfoot carries Gracie into an underground temple where she's chained up. Now Lopan has two non-consenting fiancés with green eyes. Yay! (laughs) Jack and Wang hook up with Egg Shen's gang, who wear tan and are good guys. They're going to get Mao Yin and Gracie back. Back in the throne room, the Hat Warriors are doing some cool martial arts while we get a close-up of Mao Yin and Gracie's green eyes. Kind of sucks to parade all these hot dudes in front of these gals and then be like, yeah, uh, you're marrying the old wizard. Mm Jack and the good guys make their way through the sewers, where they encounter at least one freaky monster. Jack is once again like, what the fuck? It's very funny. <laughs> I called him the butthole face monster. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, no, there's the sewer monster, and then there's oh, the butthole sorry. face monster. There's multiple creature effects in this. It's really, there's a lot going uh, on. Put some respect on the butthole name. Oh, Jen. pardon me. Pardon me. <laughs> My apologies to the butthole family. Yeah. Yeah, they've had to endure a lot. <laughs> they <have. laughs> Finally, they arrive at the threshold of Lopan's HQ. Egg Shen explains that in addition to marrying a woman with green eyes, uh, Lopan also has to kill her to get his real body back. 
Gracie and Mao Yin are dressed in bridal outfits and all tranced up in an insane ceremonial chamber with a huge neon skull. Lopan shows up. Now's the time for the butthole monster as, oh, a flying, <laughs> as a flying ball of flesh and eyeballs to let everyone know that he's going to fuck, marry, kill Gracie and Mao Yin for real. Specifically, he plans to marry them both, kill Gracie, and experience earthly pleasures with Mao Yin. Mm. Gross. <laughs> it's very, very gross. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Egg Shen gives all of his boys a magical potion that will let them see things no one else can see and do things no one else can do. They drink, then head to the wedding chamber. Lopan is wasting no time marrying the gals with the needle of love. That's right, a literal needle that he inserts into Mao Yin's arm, sealing the deal. He has his body back now, but that means he's mortal, and the brides are awake. The potion does the trick. Wang can suddenly do crazy flips, and a huge awesome martial arts fight breaks out. Lopan uses green fingernail magic to combat Egg Shen's purple magic. They shadow fight each other, and it's pretty cool, pretty <laughs> badass. There's lots more fighting and stabbing, and various fighters die. Gracie and Kurt fight Bigfoot and then skedaddle into an elevator. There, they sweatily make out before the elevator pops them out into Lopan's living chambers. Stay with me. Okay. <laughs> Doing there, great. <laughs> thanks. There, Jack delivers a John Wayne cowboy distraction speech with lipstick smeared all over his face. Long story short, he plays dumb, then manages to throw a knife into the now mortal Lopan's forehead. I guess that's that. <laughs> all the gold statues fall over and shatter. Now the ceiling is crumbling. Wang and Thunder are running around screaming. Thunder starts doing his flexing thing and then actually inflates like a huge skin balloon. And then he explodes. Oh my God, I lost my mind. <laughs> it's great. I love it. It is. After a bunch more action involving lightning, a pulley system, and statue violence, the whole gang of good guys reunites and find Jack's truck in a big room. They pile into the truck and blast out of a big warehouse door, Kool-Aid man style, driving away triumphant. Oh, yeah. Back at the family rest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woo! It's like the end of Star Wars A New Hope. Back at the restaurant, everyone celebrates. Egg Shen says he needs a vacation. Buddy, don't we all? <laughs> Jack is a rambling man, and it's time for him to hit the open road. He won't kiss Gracie goodbye. The movie ends as it sort of began, with Jack blabbing nonsense on his truck radio. We pan out to see that Bigfoot stole a ride on his rig. Now, that's a buddy road movie I'd like to see. <laughs> the end. Very good. Very good. Big trouble, a little chat. <laughs> well done, Laura. That was awesome. <laughs> that was that. I struggled with that more than any other synopsis. Oh yeah. yeah there's just it's one... not because it's the movie's great, but it a lot happens. Yes. Yeah, I've got one word for that. Yeah. Detailed. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I oh remember I paused it at one point and it was like 15 minutes in and I was already like a page into the rough draft. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit! There's so much that's happened and it's all amazing. Yes. Um, well, speaking of, so now it's time for our feelings check. And this is where we share our first experience with the movie and how it makes us feel when we watch it. And Dan, I would love to hear about your first experience with Big Trouble in Little China and how it makes you feel when you watch it. Oh, thanks. Um, so I rented this in like third or fourth grade. We used to have a video store about a mile from my house. And me and my friends would ride our bikes and get movies. And um, I was raised in a house, like I wasn't allowed to watch rated R movies. So I'd be like, oh, okay, I'll go to my friend's house and we'll watch those. So it was always felt like you're being a little bad having a sleepover and watching something that you knew you shouldn't watch. Mm -hmm. Um, but my dad, occasionally he would break the rules and he let me watch They Live because I was a wrestling mm -hmm. fan and had Rowdy Rowdy Piper as the, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> protagonist. So that was like my first taste with John Carpenter. So when we were at the video store, 
Um, I think we got The Thing and this movie, and we just had mm. so much fun. You know, we were cracking mm. up. Um, I love practical effects. I know Laura is like a sucker for practical effects, too. So The Thing was so good. <laughs> and then we put on John Carpenter's uh, Big Trouble in Little China right after. And it was just such a fun, you know, Mountain Dew, Pizza Hut, just... <laughs> my buddy had bunk beds so like i was in the top bunk laying down watching it Aww. and we just had such a good time and it's it's such a it's such a big swing but i think mm-hmm. it works and especially you know as a kid you appreciate that the sort of fantastical over the top elements you know like jen was saying with the plot it things pick up within 15 minutes and then it never mm-hmm. stops so it's not like some movies from this era where there's maybe 40 minutes of just it feels like a different movie and then the special effects come in. It pretty much starts mm-hmm. as soon as they get in the truck and arrive in Chinatown. Yeah. Um, it's off to the races. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even then, like I could tell it was the combination of so many different types of genre. Um, you know, this is horror podcast. So I wanted to pick a horror movie and I think this still falls in the horror genre, but yeah, there's like, I classify this. Yeah. I mean, there's like monsters and, you know, curses and wizards and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But it also has yeah. like martial arts, Westerns, fantasy. I was a big Bruce Lee fan growing up. Um, so, you know, I was crazy for any kind of martial arts mm-hmm. movie. And yeah, I, th- I think even then, and I've seen it so many times since, but even as a kid, you can tell that he was like a flawed main character. Mm-hmm. And my friend even said, like, he's trying to be Indiana Jones, or at least in his mind, he thinks mm-hmm. he's Indiana Jones, the uh, Kurt Russell character. And it's funny because now, like, I didn't really know who John Wayne was at the time. You know, now I do. And it's very clear he's doing a John Wayne impression that, like, (laughs) all right, what's this, Pilgrim? Like, that sort of thing. (laughs) Yeah, we we just had a really good time. And I think we rented it again that same year. And we, you know, called other friends over. And we're like, you got to see this. This movie is wild. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It feels more violent, I guess, than it really is. But it's, Mm -hmm. it's a cartoon sort of violence. So it's not, it's not a bloody movie, but they're is a body count of 46 bodies, which is pretty high. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know why that's so funny to me. But I know. It's, yeah. it's just, it's a lot, but I don't know. What about you, Mike? When, uh, when did you first? Yeah. So, so this is going to be a, probably the most you hear me speak this show. Cause I don't have a lot. Cause I was today days old when I saw this movie <laughs> for the first time. And so the other night, I think it was Friday night. I rented the new cut of Rocky Four, mm-hmm. Rocky versus Ivan Drago, and it was a very surreal experience because it's the same movie, but it's not a director's cut in that they just add footage. Like they wholesale replace footage in the movie, mm-hmm. so it's really weird watching it because you're like, I don't recognize half this movie, but it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I had to wash the taste of that movie out of my mouth by watching Rocky Three. Saturday, and then I had to watch Rocky One at eleven o'clock on Saturday night, and then uh-huh. after I watched Rocky One at one o'clock in the morning, I had to put on Rocky Two. I see so where I didn't this is going. Go to bed until three in the morning, and today <laughs> I am very, very tired and a little bit groggy. So at one p.m., I put on like I love John Carpenter. Like I don't know how I didn't watch this movie growing up a million times on cable because dan i feel like we're separated at birth because i also would like bike to the video store <laughs> with friends and loved pro wrestling as a child growing up and re- couldn't watch r-rated movies in my home so i kind of feel like are you my twin brother i didn't know that i had yeah i'm, I'm there for you bro you're both so, like have beards and are wearing baseball and so I put this on at one and I was really looking forward to it. And then within 10 minutes, like, I went 
back and forth in this movie between like aggressively hating it because I couldn't, <laughs> I'm like, I can't process this right now. So like, all right, it's, it's, you know, it's okay to like, this is so much fun. I love this and I can't wait to watch it again. And it wasn't like a, just like on a, um, it just wasn't like this linear path. Like I felt that way often within the same scene mm-hmm. watching this movie. And I guess where I ultimately fall is like just as Laura was reading the synopsis, I'm like, I wonder if the Scream Factory Blu-ray is on sale. And it was. So I just ordered it. Oh, wow. <laughs> because I figured like, I'll be watching the synopsis this again. is so long, you can online shop. <laughs> yeah, I just like, because I just, I just figured like, I might as well order it, you know, now before I forget. Mm-hmm. So like Scream Factory's Blue is down to like 15 bucks. I'm like, yeah, I'll watch this again for 15 oh, nice. <laughs> so overall, like I, I love Kurt Russell and maybe want to watch Tombstone again. Like it's really, <laughs> oh, what yeah. it's, which I haven't watched in years. Um, it's really fun. It's really goofy. And like you said, like Carpenter, and this is the movie that Carpenter like says that disillusioned him from wanting to make Hollywood movies. And he wanted to go back to making independent movies again. And I'm kind of like John, like it's a tribute to Hong Kong movies with like Kurt Russell wasn't Kurt Russell as we know him quite yet. Like I don't, when I read the budget was 25 million, I'm like, Holy shit. People did a lot of cocaine in the (laughs) 1980s because this does not seem like the kind of movie that has like a mass audience. Like if you look up niche in the dictionary, like there's a picture of the movie box art for this waving hello. (laughs) Like, so I I was just surprised when I when I read that uh, it had that much of a budget behind it, and it looks like a lot of it went to cocaine because <laughs> like it's just fucking nuts. So I I I really am glad we picked this. I mean, I don't consider it a horror movie. I consider it more martial arts and fantasy, but that's okay. Like I am totally fine with watching something that's horror adjacent for a mm. nice change of pace. And I say with the DVD, yeah. you'll find an extra comedy because the commentary track with John Carpenter and Kurt Russell, they're getting progressively oh my drunker God. as they're watching <laughs> oh, the movie. Wow. And yeah. John oh, Carpenter is a pretty that. stoic guy, but Kurt Russell will be like, oh man, I can't even remember. I forgot about this. And he's so like childlike. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait. I guess like it devolves into them talking about like his son's hockey games yeah. and... <laughs> It's oh, it's like, like our own commentaries. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Laura, what about you? So I saw this movie probably over a decade ago, and I did like it, but I don't know if I fully appreciated it at the time. I really, I only saw it once on like pretty much every other John Carpenter movie that I've watched at least a few times, you know, between a few times to like dozens of times. But rewatching it now, it's such an obvious like tribute and love letter to like the Shaw Brothers movies and like Hong Kong and Taiwanese Kung Fu cinema in general, which I have become more familiar with since my last watch. It's not like I could call myself an expert in that subgenre, but uh, (laughs) I I still I enjoy it a lot. Uh, I don't know if folks realize how crazy a lot of those movies are. Like I coincidentally watched one last night that was called The Boxer's Omen, which is from 1983. It's somehow twice as crazy as this movie and 1,000 times more disgusting. And there's a lot of like magic rituals and bizarre practical effects. So it it really does have a lot of overlap because it kind of cuts between this like boxing and Thai boxing revenge story and then like black magic craziness. Um, and it's really, it makes like Buddhism seem so badass. <laughs> like it's a ball, ball, I highly recommend if you enjoyed this movie, check out the Boxer's Omen 
holy shit. So yeah, I like this movie a lot. I think the writing is extremely funny and witty at points while also being really broad and cartoonish. My notes that I took while I was watching are basically just quotes I wrote down because they made me laugh. Like I was just like, there's no point in trying to really make logical sense of this. I just go along for the ride on the Pork Shop Express. (laughs) I really enjoy it. Jen. <laughs> uh yeah, I love this movie. This this was a first watch for me. And now that like I'm kind of thinking about it and I'm hearing us all give our feelings checks, like I'm realizing one of the things I love about doing these comfort horror episodes is that I've watched so many movies that I never would have chosen for myself, you know? Because this is so not what I would think of as like my thing. Like I've never like I'm not really a huge fan of like the the so bad it's good or like the the really like kind of nuts movies. And so this is a movie that I probably would have avoided. Um, But man, I just loved it. I was watching it and I was like. I love Kurt Russell. My feelings on him are well documented in our thing episode. So if you were curious, <laughs> another I, horny episode. Yeah, to go I, back that's and true. I, that, I, don't, I was only, like, oh man. I know, so, man. <laughs> so I have a question: Do you prefer clean shaven or rough and rugged Kurt Russell? Uh, I mean, I, I'm not. I wouldn't kick either out of bed, but probably oh. rough and rugged. I think. Okay. Um, yeah, I I didn't enjoy the moose in his hair as much as. I enjoyed like the the wavy thing here, um, not, not in a weird way, um, but yeah, I I mean there there are a few versions of Kurt Russell that I don't enjoy. I also am a huge Sex in the City fan. It's like a problematic fave of mine. So I love watching Kim Cattrall because she is not in much that I have seen. So that was really fun. Um, Like there were just so many points in this movie where like my brain exploded and I was just watching this and I just had this huge grin on my face and I was like, holy shit, what is going on? Like even the parts that I didn't quite understand, I was like, this is still really fun it what like there are parts that I thought were hilarious that are on my list that are just really subtle like little thrown in things like the part with the red light at the end cracked me up so much and it's such a like just throwaway little moment but I thought that was hilarious and I feel like Laura you said it it's like this really well written subtle comedy but also like broad cartoonish and I feel like it never goes too hard in either direction like it stays right it like threads the needle between those so well that it never became too much for me, you know. There were a couple of things that I didn't enjoy in it. There, There's kind of a trigger in here for me, but it wasn't anything bad. But it just, like, it, it's, I don't think it's a perfect movie, but man, I really, really enjoyed watching this. Um, and I'm really looking forward to talking about it. I think if I classified it, I would not classify it first horror. I would probably say for it was first adventure or first martial arts, but I do think it has horror elements in it. And, and I tend to be like, fairly loose in what I consider horror. Like I consider Ghostbusters horror, you know, because it's got horrific elements. I would say it's first a comedy, but you know, anyways, but also like, it's just a movie that's fun to talk about. And so on that note, let's dig into what we love about the movie. And um, we had talked about Kurt Russell. So let's talk a little bit about the casting because I know Dan, you had some thoughts about that. Yeah. uh, It's, the making of this movie is very interesting. It's worth like checking out because kind of like what Laura was saying, the script is good. It's really funny, but I don't know what studio would green light it. And right. Carpenter has a lot of times had issues with the studio system. And it got to the point where he was basically like, look, I'll make the movie for, if you give me 15 million, I'll make a movie for 15 million, but I'm going to cut the corners. I need to, to you know, hit that budget. 
And I think this came out near when Aliens came out or some other big mm-hmm. tentpole. It was released yeah. during the... Yeah, released during the build-up to the release of Aliens, yeah, so, so it kind of got lost in the box office. And they didn't promote it very well, and we can talk more about this during the appropriation conversation, but mm-hmm. the way it was marketed, too, was it, it made it look like Kurt Russell was the hero, which he's mm-hmm. really not. And they even the studio made them put that scene in the beginning when Egg is saying, like, Jack is the most courageous man I've ever known, and... You know, it feels like tagged on. It does because, like, the way that it, even like it then goes to him talking and it ends with him talking into his radio. So that totally makes sense. Why that doesn't feel like a natural bookend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it originally started with him driving the truck, but I think they it were like, we need to give the sense. audience. And meanwhile, it's like he doesn't. I mean, he kills the guy with the knife, Lopan. But other than that, he like knocks himself out during the fight. Yeah. He's kind of bumbling, right? Which is yeah. cool because it flips the what you would expect. But the marketing is actually what led to some of the protests in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like that beginning because the movie then subverts your expectations of the character. Like mm. you have a pretty incredible buildup, you know, in this like brief two minute scene featuring the X-Files like cigarette smoking man. Like yeah, it's there deep he is. throat. That's oh, right. that's you're right. My bad. It's deep throat. Um, Not, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's because you're like expecting like this really heroic character and then you get like this dude is a doofus <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, kind of great. it's kind of great in yeah. that way yeah I, I included the clip it's there's a youtube compilation of just him being like incredulous and it's just him being like wait what's this is that huh those are chinese numbers right. they go down <laughs> what and it's just like it's it's literally a four minute compilation of him just not comprehending it's just funny because he is like if you inserted a dumb white guy into the plot of a lot of like Hong Kong action films and I'm just like, huh? And like it's like a proxy for the American audience in some ways. And like, oh totally. There's one point yeah. where he wrote he says, What's going on? And I was like, Yes, please tell me what's going Good on. Question. I don't know. Well, and I felt like there were these exposition dumps too, like mm. like David Lopau, who is the richest dude who never comes out. And then like, I have to go into this building. And then there's like this huge exposition dump on this building. (laughs) You know, it's really comic booky, And that stuff cracked me up. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, because it's so it feels very intentional. It doesn't feel like they're not like aware of the exposition being doing the legwork that it does. But they were just like, let's really lean into Mm -hmm. it. Like, let's really cram as much exposition in in absurd ways it does feel like a comic book or a cartoon mm-hmm. yeah and, and so they originally two were considering clint eastwood or jack nicholson for the role oh, that would wow. have really made a two for for jack nicholson in chinatowns yeah mm-hmm. yeah seriously um it, it's <laughs> i you know i don't think either of those would have worked at all no um, no, no totally no, no, different no. movies and what's funny so kurt russell he channels um john wayne in this movie and then in escape from new york he's literally channeling clint eastwood right <laughs> Like, it's that yes. stoic, like, all right, that, you know, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, and then someone, I was listening to some other podcasts talk about it, and I think Harrison Ford might have been loosely considered, hmm. which... I could see him. Mm. He would be more charming. They're, like, more, like, suave, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Kurt Russell, like, gets the, the charm of Harrison Ford, but, like, an incredible goofiness to him that none of these other actors really would bring to the table yeah. yeah there's like a bubbliness to him yeah. you know mm-hmm. he's thinking, a he's a himbo <laughs> yeah i'm thinking of um bill murray and like the man who knew too much i mm. think and i'm like it would be that's a I funny think, movie yeah i i think that this role kind of needed exactly what kurt russell brought to the table for it mm. yeah i think he needs to make fun of yourself and i don't know that like harrison ford would be 
especially not Jack Nicholson or Clint Eastwood, you know? Oh, no. It must be, like, too cool for school, and it wears, like, Kurt Russell. Mm -hmm. And I think Kurt Russell has, like, the Disney background, so Mm -hmm. he kind of kept that innocence about him throughout his career, I feel like. You know, there's, like, still a boyish twinkle in his eye that Mm -hmm. maybe some of those Mm -hmm. other guys don't have. That's why he's perfect for Santa Claus. And he he looks like a Disney character. Like, he Mm -hmm. looks like a Disney prince, like, with his jawline and his hair. And and I like him, too, because it's that 80s hero where it's not over-the-top muscular but you know he's a pretty built guy like i wish my body looked like that but he's not a <laughs> same he's not you know he-man hercules type guy he, you can buy him as mm-hmm. a trucker yeah and then another character too that i just want to say the casting uh for james hong who people yes. he's the guy who plays david lopan and mm-hmm. he i'm not joking if you go to his imdb or wikipedia he has over 600 acting roles holy wow. shit he's just worked so consistently like he's the dad in wayne's world 2 uh cassandra's dad mm. He's in Blade mm-hmm. Runner. He's the gardener in Chinatown. Um, if you watch Seinfeld, mm-hmm. he's actually the like the Mater D at the Chinese restaurant. That's right. <laughs> right, and oh he, he just this guy has always worked, and he doesn't turn things down. And I've heard him say that like at Comic Cons, the most requested picture that he gets is the Lopan autograph. Yes, um, really. Yes, but there was a big push because he really was like one of the first Asian American actors that was working, and he founded like a theater. That is like one of the longest running theaters for like people of color that still puts on plays. Um, and there was a big nice. push by a lot of uh, Asian actors to have him get a walk of fame star. And mm-hmm. he actually got voted in for the class of 2022. Um, oh, so nice. he's going to actually have a star. And if you see him, he's like a very humble guy. I think he's had, he lives in like a condo and he has for like the past few decades. Just bought a condo a few decades ago in Hollywood and. It just seems like an all-around really nice guy. And I think he does a great mm-hmm. job in this. It's, it's not the easiest role to play an no. old man in a wheelchair. <laughs> and I actually thought... And a ghost. And a human man. Yeah, and, and I thought laser he face monster. cool. Like, when he was the... When he had the fingernail, like, I thought that looked Oh, yeah. Sweet. It's an iconic look. And he's it got really that is. weird, like, redness under his eyes, but the rest of his face is pale. And he's, mm-hmm. like, he's really, like, creepy and unsettling. I, yeah, I think he does a great job in this. But he always feels like himself, too. Like, you still kind of recognize him in that role, you know? I will marry both women. I just died at that point. That's, that's the dream. Sacrifice <laughs> one, keep the other. But <laughs> well, and, and when he's an old man, he has one of my favorite lines where he's like, he's looking at them at the on the security camera monitors as the other people are entering, and he's like, "This really pisses me off to no end." And it's just like, uh, yeah, I. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny. It's funny. And then just a couple of the other actors that I thought the casting was great was the Dennis Dunn as Wang Shi, who pretty much is the hero of the movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And he also worked with Carpenter and Prince of Darkness, uh, I think, the yeah. next year in 87, which I just happened to watch again uh, this weekend. And when they cast him, I don't think they knew that he was as good at martial arts as he turned out to be. But mm. it turned out that he had a background, and they were like, oh, that's helpful. And then once they saw him doing some of the stunts, they were very impressed. Yeah. <laughs> that's if awesome. he did any of those flips, then I'm impressed. Mm. <laughs> and then finally, the Victor Wong, who plays the Egg Shen. Um, uh-huh. He's the guy, the shopkeeper in Tremors. He's the uh-huh. grandpa in Three Ninjas, and he's a great character actor. And sadly, when I was doing, I know this is comfort horror, but <laughs> the nine eleven indirectly caused his death because oh, no. his did he like inhale smoke? His or children were near the site, and he was so scared because he couldn't get a hold of them that he stayed up all night trying to contact them, and then had a heart attack on nine twelve. Oh, oh my god. god, that is the saddest oh, and most no. upsetting thing. Yeah, I debated ever. bringing that up, but. The more you oh, know. Well, I'm unhappy that you did. Um, <laughs> Were his children okay? Yeah, his children ended up being fine, luckily. But 
Oh man, that except is... for the grief of losing their dad. Yeah, yeah I guess that's true. For... Yeah, <laughs> Jesus, physically unharmed. So uh, that's one of my favorite lies. <laughs> Sorry, I'll just to to add one other thing to. Uh, pivot us away from that um (laughs) there's a ton of uh character actors in this who especially like the the guy i should have looked up his name the guy that plays thunder the main uh flying hat wizard (laughs) he has been in like dozens of hong kong action films and martial arts films and stuff a lot of the people they cast in this were people who were like martial arts film performers you know so they did the Mm -hmm. work to like you know eat your heart out quentin tarantino this guy john carpenter was doing all the like you know nerdy like deep cut casting <laughs> uh, long before he did was he okay he's the one that inflates at the end right? yeah he's the, yeah he hulks out into a balloon <laughs> which I thought was hilarious I loved that moment and that's not usually the kind of thing that I will enjoy but like lots of times in the synopsis is like I write the rough drafts and then Laura clean massively cleans up my like word vomit um but I had been calling him formerly inflatable guy because there's that one scene in the room where he like just gets really big but it's like Mm -hmm. not a not an abnormal type of like inflating I just thought it was really funny and so I kept calling him that in the synopsis and it's one of those just dumb nicknames that I call people because I never know what anybody's name is and then he acts actually inflates and I was like (laughs) holy shit I think any amount of inflating is abnormal like if you're (laughs) inflating you should get checked out well it made me think of this scene in puffer frogs (laughs) like i think it's fine and normal there's this scene in salem's lot where not to bring up stephen king but where like this guy is getting henry petrie is getting tied up and he's like i'm gonna make my muscles really big so that when i like relax they're slack in the rope so that's what i was thinking i was like oh he's just being really big and then yeah i thought he was just flexing really hard i completely like blacked out the whole inflating into a balloon man thing like that also reminds me i mean this came out after it but it's there's a lot of like splatter um it's uh ricky yo the ball or the story of ricky Mm -hmm. there's like a and there's also like total recall when it whenever they take the helmets off there's like this i don't know it's like a balloon faced thing and like i fucking love it it's so Mm. creepy and weird when his feet inflate i don't know why but when we were little kids that was like the funniest (laughs) thing we're like ah, his feet are getting so big (laughs) it's it's like the last place (laughs) you would think to have like fat on your body is the top of your feet (laughs) right Oh, for oh. some of us. Anyway. You only wear sandals, right? Right. <laughs> Is Lightning the one with the long hair? Is that That's hair Rain. I'm not sh- Rain. That's Rain. Oh, sorry. Okay. Ooh, that They're never actually sexy. named in the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, that guy with the long hair that was like hot. Like he's incredibly like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, light- that hair. It's like, holy yeah. shit. The Lightning guy, it's funny because. Like to be a science nerd, the lightning is only like electrons, so it's not really a mass to it. So he grabs it like a stripper pole when he climbs up and stuff. <laughs> I was like, technically, you can't grab electrons, but I guess that's not the only hole in this movie. Well, actually, I think if you start actually, logicking this movie, yeah. you're, uh, you're say, in for like, a rough that, ride. That's where we're going. Neil deGrasse Tyson, this, but you know. Oh my god! So <laughs> many times I was like, and now this guy can fly, and now this guy can fly flip. <laughs> It was just so delightful. I'm glad you guys did like this. Like, it seems like, because uh, I know me and Jen were talking at first, and I suggested some that were probably too far the other end of the horror spectrum. <laughs> so I kind of went the opposite and went comedy. What were the other suggestions? Uh, so I, I have pretty dark taste in movies, and I'm not the best age <laughs> of that stuff. So I picked uh, To Kill a Sacred Deer, or The Killing of a Sacred Deer and One Hour mm-hmm. Photo. That's comfort. I like, I, yeah, I just really like. The good acting and directing is like calming to me because mm-hmm. it's like uh-huh. I get lost in the world. I don't check my phone. But as we were doing like the 
summary, I'm like, yeah, one hour photo would have gotten really dark in that too. So I'm glad <laughs> this is what we ended up on. Yeah, me too. Same, big same. Yeah, there are some movies where if like someone's like, I want to do like Sallow as my comfort horror movie. Like, I'm you like, you're leave. not allowed <laughs> on the show. You are. You were not. We were blocking you. That oh, we wouldn't. I would. If someone came to me and said, like, Sallow or 120 Days of Sodom is their comfort movie, I am probably blocking them. I'm probably no. like... <laughs> I yeah. can't say I wouldn't Homer Simpson back into a bush. Yeah, I just put yeah. In, I'd be like... Ugh. I just put on faces of before bed, usually. And oh, my yeah. God. Into my nightmares. I used to love those movies. We are the same um, person. I'm telling you, Mike. We are the same yeah, person. I'm pretty sure we are the same. I don't know, Mike. Have you read all of the Left Behind books? <laughs> Well, I wanted to know, like, if Kurt Cameron's done any horror movies, and then if we have, like, a conflicted Jen Thirst episode, where it's like, he's so cute, but oh, he's so scummy. Mm, no, I mean, I my crush never extended too far in the Growing Pains days. You were always more of a boner person from Growing, growing Pains. <laughs> this is me doing the wrap it up. Oh, yes, okay, like, let's, right. let's uh, move on to <laughs> All right. So let's move on to, uh, I mean, can we talk about some more of the casting? Because I do have some thoughts on Kurt Russell. Although I think I've probably talked about him enough. But I want to talk about Kim Cattrall mm-hmm. because yeah. I love her in Sex and the City. And I, okay, so I watched that show over and over and over again it's probably the show I've watched more than any other because I had all of the DVDs like before streaming was a thing so I would just put them on while I was cleaning and so the second she walked on screen I was like why are her eyes different why does she look like that and I kept wondering about that for the entire movie until I was like oh okay she's wearing green eye contacts but so I kept like marveling at how she looks different but she's really funny in this role too you know like the moment she comes into the restaurant she's like never fear it's me Gracie Law (laughs) don't worry it's just me Gracie Law it's like I love it it's like who enters the room this way it's like I'm gonna name myself Jen Podcast (laughs) she she totally gets the assignment Uh like she knows what movie she's in and she understands it and she embraces it with full gusto i'm trying to think like what other performers like do this where they kind of know they're in this kind of like goofy b movie and Mm -hmm. just like wholeheartedly embrace it, it. yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's just even the moment she's like in the car with margo and, and margo says something like i think i wrote it down but it's like i'm a journalist and this story is my big break <laughs> <laughs> i love it that's what i was talking about where like they know what they're doing with the exposition and stuff uh-huh. like it's just so goofy yeah she like keeps up with kurt russell too and, like gives it right back to him but with the green mm-hmm. eyes thing i was gonna say so i actually have green eyes and only two percent of the earth's population has i don't know if you can Oh, there they are. They yeah. sure are green. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. They just Take turned green white. Rap. He's flying yeah, so up even in the air. A little kid, I was like, oh, green eyes. So I've always, you know, been biased toward uh-huh. that. I can marry a demon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, because I looked up. So she actually has brown eyes, right? And then these were mm-hmm. the contacts um, that they put yeah. in. So yeah, this is, I'd only seen the Sex and the City movies in theaters on dates. But I'd never really seen the show. But First I, one's great. Second one is I thought they were pretty funny. And uh, I don't know how they're going to do the reboot without her because she's like the major like a, yeah. a major character right like she is she is she loves uh, sex. She gets, puts a lot the, of the sex ca- in that yeah the cotet will be broken it'll <laughs> never be the same that's it that will. was for dan thank you yeah my, thank you si. well, my only experience with sex in the city is we screened the Soska sisters first movie dead hookers in a trunk mm. uh at a theater in somerville and these like 
before uh you know like middle-aged women came in dressed to the nines and were like is this the new sex in the city movie (laughs) and i being an asshole was like yes so they came in sat down for like five minutes and then realized this wasn't the new sex in the city movie and then that is extremely funny oh wow (laughs) what what tipped you off ladies (laughs) they're just like "Hmm." Like, they're reading they're reading the title of the film no they walked in like midway through the movie <laughs> it might have been like the eyeball scrunching scene mm. where like that doesn't see Sarah Jessica Parser hasn't even showed up yet. So. <laughs> right. What's going Where's on? Where's Mr. Big? <laughs> and just like that. Well, uh, you're gonna probably be hearing more thoughts about me and Sex in the City if you listen to mm-hmm. White Ladies in Crisis, because I think we're gonna be covering the new series, which I'm not super excited about because I mean, this is not about Sex in the City, but you know. Anyway, it's all right. Why are you not excited about it? <laughs> because we don't need it. <laughs> because they ended the series ended perfectly. The first movie ended well, and then the mm-hmm. second movie, like, I feel like it punched me in the face for liking the show. I was like, "What are you doing?" And I, I just don't, I just don't I think, need it. I think know? the phrase you're looking for is sometimes dad is better. <laughs> yeah. I, say, I, I think saw so, Kristen yeah. Davis on the street once. Um, I was in oh, Manhattan, yeah. and I just happened to be like near the Guggenheim, and she was shopping, and she walked by, and I kind of gave her one of those like acknowledgement uh-huh. nods. I didn't want to bother her, and she kind of like nodded back. So. Aww, Very pretty. Charlotte. Aww. I love Charlotte. Uh, anyway. Should we talk about the special effects? <laughs> yes, let's do. <laughs> oh, yeah. That- Dan, please take it away. <laughs> it yes, I'm, I'm interested to hear I hear about this first thing you have written down here. Um, yeah, no, I, I just think the special effects in this movie are amazing. It's, I always... When I break down a movie, I'm like, okay, could you just listen to the soundtrack with no dialogue and enjoy it? Could you mm. just listen to the dialogue and enjoy it? And then could you just have the visuals with the, everything on mute? And I think this movie is just very visually interesting. Um, the yeah. reason I actually suggested it was I was out at a Thai restaurant a few weeks ago, and they had a black and white version of this movie on, like, in the background oh. behind the bar, you know, on mute. And I felt bad because the people I was there with, I kept turning and like watching the movie and being <laughs> right, like, oh, yeah. here comes the eyeball monster, you know? And, and I think for as cheesy as it is. I would have also been doing that. Yeah, but I think the effects, like he pretty much nails a lot of the effects. Like they don't look, even the lightning in the beginning in the lawyer's office, I was like, that didn't look as 80s as it could have. I think it's, what is it called? Rotoscoping when they mm-hmm. would do a lot of that stuff with like the green flame. But I like that. Like that's, I'm, I'm a sucker for those kind of special effects. I think it's a really nice combination of rotoscoping and then the like puppeteer, like the puppet work and stuff like that. And I love that eyeball creature. It's at one point it's just like hanging out on the floor and it's like weird tongue with an eyeball at the tip of it. It was like coming out phallically. And I was like, what am I looking at? And it, it also has like, it acts like at one point it like, he's like, I'm going to marry both women. And then just kind of smiles a little. And I'm like, I fucking love this uh, yeah it's great do you know if the, the thing about mortal Kombat is actually true yeah that is actually true they uh referenced that so the lopan is shang soon who's like the boss in the first game and then the oh, lightning yeah. guy is raiden i mean he has the hat the, the hat. armor is the mm-hmm. same um lightning gods so. because when i saw this you know now i mean even back then i think i was like this looks like mortal Kombat, and i to knowing that they directly were referencing this makes me really happy yeah and it's like what a fun inspiration too he's like mortal Kombat's obviously gone on to have a huge legacy um but the eyeball guy, totally. when me and my friends were little, we would joke that if, in Star Wars, Luke trains on this like floating orb that shoots lasers at him. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. kept being like, he's going to marry that thing. <laughs> and a third grade boy, that's hilarious. <laughs> also, the okay, yes. 
Yeah, the creatures are really fucking weird in this too. Like, there's like so many bizarre monsters, and then the the like Bigfoot Yeti yeah. ape creature guy. Like, what the fuck is that? Oh my god! But also, it's, it's awesome creature design. Just kind of like comes at you, and then yep. you're like, okay. And there's you could completely excise it from the movie, and you wouldn't miss anything. That's no less crazy of a movie, mm-hmm. but it's kind of awesome. It's there. It's kind of like the thing from Creep Show, the crate. Yeah, skit got out and just kind of wandered over to a John Carpenter set. Yeah, yeah. it was like and when I, I saw the eyes moving behind the statue, I was like, "Oh, this is interesting." But that I was love the, the way last that looks. thing I expected. Like, yeah, holy shit! Well, this is what I love in a movie. I like a movie that feels like it was made by maniacs for maniacs. <laughs> uh-huh. Like that's just like that. Just is like it hits a sweet spot for me where I'm just like every two seconds, like what? Right? What? And yeah. Like, yeah so just, many just great. delightful sentences I got to write. Like I think at the wedding, I was like, "Butthole face monster is crying when he was sticking his tongue out." <laughs> and I was like, "Bigfoot is also in attendance." And then just like out of the blue, Kurt Russell and Samantha fight Bigfoot, and then they go. She like okay. She also like knocks out Bigfoot by just like lightly kicking it in the butt, <laughs> which hey, I man. just found really delightful. Samantha is powerful. She's got power, a powerful kick. But, she and, does. And I really yeah. like to like her interactions with uh, you know, like when he goes to kiss her in the sewer. She's kind of like, get away from me. Mm-hmm. So like they yeah. never really <laughs> fall in love. And then even at the end, like she's like leaving, and they're like, oh, the cowboy's gonna kiss her, and he just like takes his satchels of money and. <laughs> exits the saloon it's kind of a weird dynamic yeah, it, it is really I, enjoy, I liked that it didn't go for like the typical you know happy end like he's clearly just such a flawed character that he can't accept you know nor- normality because he says to her something like well people get sick of me and i start rubbing mm. them the wrong way after a while and mm-hmm. it's like oh he's got issues he's got self-esteem issues <laughs> uh we could we I could analyze this movie <laughs> yeah i can fix he's very much an i can fix him kind of character do you mind uh, if I, I segue that into just the little more kurt russell uh conversation please oh, yeah out. i don't think jen's ever seen Je- no a little more not kurt russell talk. <laughs> nope well i was gonna say so this is actually he made five movies with john carpenter in total mm-hmm. so what is it escape from new york uh the thing elvis elvis big trouble and then i'm drawing a blank on the last escape one. from la escape from la right is that is john carpenter escape okay, okay. that one's terrible yep. that's i think it, it was a sequel to escape from new york yeah. but i think it is john yeah, carpenter that's, that's not a good one but uh so one thing that's, you know, we were talking about like how he's kind of like a bumbling hero, which I thought was pretty interesting. And he actually turned down the role in Highlander to do this film, which wow. was in, uh, Christopher, you can help me with this probably. Lambert? My, yeah, Christopher, Lam- Lambert. Christopher Lambert, who's such a strange, who actually ended up playing Raiden <laughs> in the Mortal Kombat movie. Which Highlander movie was it? The one, it, I'm assuming it came out in like 83 or 84. I, no, it's the first one. I think I it's the first one. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. So wait. Okay. So 1986, Highlander. That's because I get confused. There are a few Highlander films, and then there's the TV yeah, series. Right. So I just want to make sure I'm looking at the right one because I grew up watching the TV series with Adrian Paul. I actually <laughs> so thought that was the best. That version. to me, oh yeah, to me that's canonical Highlander. But <laughs> but I think that's a. I don't think he would have worked in Highlander. It's just not. No, it's not the right vibe. He's like Highlander's too brooding. And, mm-hmm. and, and, like oh, there can only be one. Only be blah, one. Blah, blah. 
Obi-Wan. Um, but what's sorry. funny is, like, he is so bumbling in this. And I think the first thing I ever saw Kurt Russell in was Overboard, which I still love. But, like, in the thing, he is kind of like a stoic character, mm-hmm. you know? And I haven't seen a lot of, like, I these are the only two John Carpenter movies I've seen with him in. So I can't say what he's like in Escape from New York. But, like, it just feels like a totally different kind of thing. And I feel like this is one of those actor-director pairings that people don't really talk about that much, you know? which is insane to me i know because like these are great movies and i feel like they really kind of bring out the best in each other and just in the two that i've seen yeah the great collaborators and if you actually just i was googling images from this time but if you type zach braff kurt russell apparently kate hudson who's kurt russell's daughter had a halloween party and zach braff dressed up as jack from this movie and kurt russell happened to be there so they're together in a picture oh it's like a really funny image I hate Zach Braff, but I'm, I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah, I know Zach Braff is just one of those people you look at him and I'm like, I'm gonna fucking fight you. Anyway, oh. but I'm gonna, I am gonna Google this. Yeah, Google I know. I'm it really makes me want to get the T-shirt that uh, there's like the T-shirt that Kurt Russell's wearing in this movie that is just kind of a cool design. Yeah, it is. Oh yeah, it's great. I love that muscle tank. I love when he loses his jacket and it's just like, here are my muscles. Oh, yeah. so do I. <laughs> there is there is an effortlessness cool to Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't. He it just looks like everything comes easy to him mm-hmm. in every yeah. role you see him in. You, there's never this thing where he's like really, you know, like putting on like a new persona or like really diving into something. It just seems like whatever he does, it's just easy for him to do it, mm-hmm. and he's not trying too hard. And he's not. And I kind of think that you know, you, Kurt Russell is not someone that you kind of hear a lot about in kind of like the general public as well like he seems like a fairly private person like i think he's still with goldie hahn correct Mm -hmm. and they've been together for like 30 40 years at this point and he just Mm kind of does his thing and and that's it like you don't hear a ton about him Mm -hmm. overall i think there's something to that especially in this era where like everyone is trying to be an influencer or or try to rebrand themselves or kind of remarket themselves in some way it's like kurt russell's just himself mm-hmm. um and he's not afraid to look like i think a lot of actors would turn this down because they're like is this going to make me look bumbling is this going to mm-hmm. make me look silly like am i going to be able to re- rebound from something like this you know like mm-hmm. like you said it's like indiana he thinks he's indiana jones but he's kind of closer to inspector clouseau yeah. in this role right and a lot of i think a lot of performers would have some like a handler in their ear going you you can't do this movie like you'll look like an idiot and you'll never rebound from it and i think that it's kind of brilliant having him in this role because he does look like your typical like when my wife was watching this movie with me she came in midway through and she's like is the name of this movie like you know white savior in chinatown and i'm like actually like as you watch it he's done nothing like he's a complete buffoon mm-hmm there's even a scene where the knife slips out of his hand and he comes back and Wang has taken everybody out. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, yeah. Well, that's great. And that's so weird because they're, mm. they're actually going to do a remake of this movie and they cast Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Mm-hmm. And of course they yeah. I think that goes against every point that you just made about being able to laugh at himself <laughs> right. because he's, a, he's larger <sighs> than life that you can yeah. never imagine him losing. And I, I don't know mm. that that's... I just, no. Why? Seeing, no. Yeah, no. I... Bumped into The Rock once coming out of a restroom in Lowell, like back in 98. And he is a mountain of a man. This was like pre how he looks now. Like he was a 
mountain of a human being. And I, I just yelled, oh, my God, it's the people's champ. And he <laughs> gave me the eyebrow and we went on our way. Aww. It was just like that, Laura. Absolutely. Um, I was doing the eyebrows. Oh, thing. Yeah, all like, really the, nice. the Rock is someone that can make fun of himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, those Jumanji movies he did are actually a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Is he Kurt yes. Russell? No. But, yeah. you know. I don't know, like there are, I'd rather watch The Rock in a remake of Big Trouble in Little China than say like Vin Diesel. Yeah. You know? Chris Pratt. Chris, oh God, I don't, <laughs> yeah. That's Sorry. They just keep casting Chris Pratt and things. And everything, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, one of th- it's, well, as I say, it's supposed to be like Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, where it's like a continuation. I haven't seen that mm-hmm. movie, but I, oh. it's like- it's set in the fun. same kind of universe. Yeah. Like, They're a yeah. lot of fun. I mean, honestly, like I had low, I went because I have a child and- by law, you have to take your child to mm-hmm. movies like that when they come out. Get That's why I've seen the Sonic sin. movie like uh, Sorry. Times. Your cat, Mike, just really, the cat just entered from stage left really abruptly. And yeah. I, after just, I was hearing him and then like he just, I, I just lost it. Okay. He heard you say, I have of, a child. And he's like, you have pets too. He has I'm a habit child. of like shutting off my computer sometimes oh. when I'm recording. <laughs> nice. He's like, enough. <laughs> and I, I honestly had really low expectations going into those movies and found Found them pretty entertaining. I I can't comment on this. I, yeah, I fair just, enough. I can't bring myself to care. I don't want any <laughs> I of this. Seen I don't. I'm. So, I'm sure I will at some point because I I have heard good things about them compared to some mm-hmm. of the other drag that comes out. You know, there's just some things where I'm like, it's the same thing you're with you not wanting like the last the new season of Sex and the City where it's just like just leave it alone, yeah. please yeah. God. Can we find some new IP? Like, can right. we just stop yeah. trying to make remake things that you know are gonna and the irony being this that this was a box office flop also right anyway yeah, they're gonna like drop like <sighs> panda express marketing into it or something like, <laughs> yeah just... they're gonna do something fucking uh-huh. like so insanely stupid that i'm yeah but yeah on the on the um do we want to talk about the appropriation piece of this now um for since we were talking about the white savior and potential yeah, maybe we should uh, yeah yeah i think i just feel like that feels like a natural segue into that mm-hmm. so i know you found this essay dan i was wondering uh if you had wanted to share some details about that uh yeah so they they like i was saying earlier um the marketing made it look like the white savior movie and kind of like what mike you know wife commented on is like it, it very easy to kind of walk in and see it and be like okay I'm going to put it as that. Yeah. And I'm seeing a lot of like with Dune, a lot of that is happening too, where people are kind of dismissing it. And as someone who's read mm-hmm. the books, I'm kind of like, maybe keep paying attention because it sort of dismantles that mm-hmm. whole thing. Um, and this, yeah, movie, exactly. this movie does too. But so I can see like during the lead up getting upset and I, I try not to judge things if I'm not familiar. Right. But it's, it, you mm-hmm. know, people have a knee jerk reaction, but they were interviewing some of the actors in the movie and the guy who played, was it rain with the long, sexy hair? Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll just call him long sexy hair long man. sexy hair yes. man he was saying that it was actually like he thought it was great and he was like i think people should wait till they see the movie he's like they put a lot of asian actors like first in, yeah in the front that wouldn't have normally gotten a shot and like i think the majority mm-hmm. of the actors in the film are you know asian or asian american and he was like saying you know it was handled pretty respectfully it wasn't they see oh go ahead yeah, yeah. Just that they seem to go out of their way to actually find Chinese American actors or, or Chinese actors, people of ch- actual Chinese descent to play Chinese characters, which is like kind of going above and beyond even what people in Hollywood do today. Like if you look at like the Milan casting situation thing and and, and a lot of them are veterans of Hong Kong Kung Fu martial arts cinema. So mm-hmm. it's like, if not, I mean, sure, this movie was made by a white dude and it has a white 
air quotes protagonist, but I really do feel like watching it, that it's a loving tribute to that form of film, you know, to that subgenre and not exploitative. And also Kurt Russell's character is a fucking bumblebutt. And it never, Mm -hmm. it never makes fun of the culture because in the beginning he's playing, he's gambling. um, And in China, like gambling is a big, like a lot of my friends who are Chinese, they're like, oh, gambling is such like a big thing that our parents and grandparents do. And if you look, Mm -hmm. he's playing a Chinese game. And he's mm-hmm. not like being like, oh, this isn't as good as, you know, poker. He's like enjoying it. I get the impression that he, I mean, he's known these people for a long time. Yeah. And even I think there's some criticism of Kim Cattrall dressing in the Chinese outfit. But if you actually look at the plot, she's put into it by low pants. So it's not right. her being right. like, oh, right. I'm going undercover and going to dress up like it's instead it's, not... it's forced on her. It's yeah. not like the beginning of Temple of Doom. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, the only real criticism I think I have of it is I wish that Malian's character had more he, development, you know? And I mean, yeah. I get why, and it almost feels like there's, I don't know if there's room for it, right. but that is the only thing I personally could really see that, that, you know. I don't think she has a line in the movie. I mean, she's just a, mm-hmm. she's the shiny object that needs to be kind of rescued. Like if you look at this game, like a video game, because this move this movie does feel like influenced by early platforming video games in that you have different levels and each time you progress through the levels of the movie to get to the end of it. But I, I, you know, and Jenna, I mean, Laura, I know you had just said like, Hey, you know, it was made by a white guy with a white male lead. You know, I feel like John Carpenter, he's an A-list director that made B movies. Yeah. That's like, he has his A-list talent. He is one of the, most incredibly gifted directors I've been fortunate enough to like view. And he does his work. Like there's no doubt in my mind that like he's someone that like does the homework and he's like steeped in these movies. And also he talked a lot about like, cause he loves Howard Hawks. And one of the things that drew him to the script was like, kind of like the screwball pacing of the dialogue. And he like, he's like, he saw it very much like a Howard Hawks movie as well. No, we need to be able to kind of like allow for artists to have some leeway, like let them do their work and and they usually know what they're doing. If they're any good, they do their homework. They do. And I think Carpenter even did a rewrite of the script in order to make like the Chinese American presence more upfront. And he actually kind of backgrounded the Jack Burton character a little bit more from what I read because he wanted to kind of make this more authentic to like the Hong Kong cinema that he really loved. Um, I'm not someone that's like super well-versed in martial arts movies. Cause again, like I just, I can't follow them aside from the fighting, but from everything I've seen, like, yeah, this is what it felt like. And it didn't feel like it was making fun of those movies. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like it was punching down at them. It felt like, right. it felt like a person who has this enormous amount of talent kind of like, clapping his hands together and rubbing them going, I finally kind of get to make the kind of movie that I would really want to make for a long time. And Dan, you would know more like, didn't this start out as a Western? Yeah, I think it actually did. And I've always found the the similarities between, I mean, you think about like the West and the East, it's as far as you can go in terms of opposites. And yet a lot of the stories share themes, right? The Akira mm-hmm. Kurosawa Seven Samurai was made into the Magnificent Seven as a Western here. Mm-hmm. The uh, Man With No Name trilogy, you know, the Sergio Leone is based on, what is it? Uh, trying to name on, blank on the name, but it's the Kurosawa trilogy of the same. And it's just, I think, this idea mm-hmm. of like, when there's no, when normal law doesn't apply, some people have to kind of rise up, men of honor, 
people of honor mm-hmm. and sort of carry out the justice for themselves. And there's a lot of that in this mm-hmm. movie, but it also pokes fun at it, right? Because Kurt Russell, mm-hmm. he thinks he's a cowboy. And like I, I think that when he leaves with the satchels of money, you're like, nobody carries money in a satchel unless you have a horse and you're right. putting it on the back of a horse, right? He literally mm-hmm. has saddlebags yeah. for his truck. <laughs> yeah. yeah like. and, and I think there are a lot of Western elements in this. But even then, it's like, I don't even know if it's fair to consider them Western or Eastern, or if it's mm-hmm. just a story that is with that sort of in mind, like those themes just works well yeah. as a martial arts movie or as a, you know, shootout at a corral. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's also like there's a, a folktale element to it, too, which I think is interesting. And I mean, we've said a lot of this doesn't make sense, but I get the feeling like that there is a logic to the movie. It's just that there's so much going on. And so that in that regard, like, I don't think he is ever making fun of the cultural story no. either. You know, it's never like, oh, this folk tale is dumb it's this is terrifying and this guy's really powerful and magic is real and again cool. watch the boxer's omen which is a hong kong production shaw brothers production and it there is a character that is essentially low pan except he's like five times as like comically evil and awful he like literally like pukes and then eats his own puke and then pukes again and then like spits blood on bones and it's like so insane like Uh they're like if anything this is like several notches down on the crazy pole from like these other movies that are actually chinese you know because i I think because it eventually it is like a studio production from an american studio and they are going to kind of rein things in like we talked about you mentioned the the bookends to the movie that were added to it and it was added because like hey our audiences aren't going to get this right away. And I felt like it strengthened the movie a bit. Um, and, and just on the topic of like respecting the culture. So I believe Lopan is, is disincorporated, but he's not a ghost because in Chinese culture, ghosts are actually considered sort of insulting. It's mm-hmm. disrespectful to your ancestors to like include ghosts in stories. Mm. Like I'm a big theme park addict and I follow like theme park podcasts and stuff. And Mm -hmm. the Haunted Mansion in the Disney World Hong Kong is actually the Mystic Manor because you can't have a ride that has ghosts in it. And Mm. it's also funny because the Ghostbusters movie, you know, the third one that was had all the habaloo about it, couldn't open in Mm. China because of the themes of ghosts. Mm. So I think in this movie, even in the 80s, he's disincorporated by a demon or discorporate. I can't say it. Discorporate. Discorporeal. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't think they ever actually call him a ghost in right. it, now that mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it. They say, I think they refer to him as like a demon at various points, but like I think they're saying it more casually, like he's kind of an entity. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't, I don't think they ever say ghost. Mm-hmm. You could remove Jack Burton from this movie and it still works. Mm-hmm. Like if you just told it, it's like it, it, you completely excise his character from it, you could pretty much tell the same movie and it would still really work as a movie. And you could remove, I think, Kim Cattrall, too, you know? Like, it almost feels like they are kind of the 80s white people surrogates for the audience and, like, to kind of shepherd us through the story, which, I mean, this was in the 80s, and so I think maybe, you know, a movie now. Well, we'll see what they do with it, because it is being remade. Like, The Rock and Zendaya, right? Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, I want to talk about my other favorite character in the movie who I might even love more than Kurt Russell. And that is this giant truck because I just cracked up anytime I saw this gigantic truck creeping through these teeny tiny alleyways with nobody saying anything about it. Nobody commenting. There's this gigantic battle in the streets and they're just like watching the whole thing go down in the cab of this truck. And it was just hilarious. And I was thinking about Christine when he was trying to like get into this tiny alley and I was like John Carpenter has a thing for this but man that truck cracked me up also the way it said haul and ass yeah on the, the lady, the lady silhouette yeah. right and it was like that that legend of Billy Jean movie or I can't remember if that's the one where it's like that's really he just wants his truck back you know it's like a cowboy um, with his horse you know yeah, yeah. He is. I think that I bet you anything in the original screenplay it was like the cowboy wants his horse back mm-hmm. It was, it just, it was hilarious. And have you guys been to Chinatown in San Francisco? I have. I haven't been in San Francisco. I've been in New York, but not. Yeah, it, it's really cool. Cause like I've been to one in New York, which is shrunk incredibly small at this point from when I, I was actually born in New York and we used to go to the city and uh, it now it's just like little Italy and Chinatown are just the same block mm. at this point. Um, Chicago actually has a pretty big Chinatown, um, yeah, really. which is really fun. But the San Francisco one is just enormous. And it's just like, it's so cool. It's so fun to walk around, mm-hmm. you know, because like, I think a lot of us, our ancestors probably came to America from like the East Coast. And when mm-hmm. you go there, you realize like, no, no, a lot of people came from the West Coast, right? And it's just a different vibe. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie does a good job of like going into Chinatown and showing there is like a mystique to it, mm-hmm. but it never like puts it down or anything. And once they enter and it doesn't go full gremlins yeah. is, mm-hmm. which is where it's like the exotic you know mm-hmm. it just doesn't have that same energy to it I, I don't know it feels more like respectful than a lot of other depictions that yeah I've i mean seen. it's cool because once they enter they never leave you know it would have been one thing if they were like if they had like some detective that's working and it's like we gotta infiltrate chinatown and it would have mm-hmm. taken you out of that world but right. literally once the truck comes in it's not until the end that they actually escape from it you know even when they're having their little downtime it's at the chinese restaurant you know yeah and, I think yeah. that's pretty neat. Well, and it's like what people say about Sex in the City is like the city is the fifth character. And I don't know why like Ghostbusters keeps coming up, but I watched like one and two today and there's like this element of like New York City being a character in both of those things. And that's kind of the vibe you get here. You know, it's like this is it does really have a lived in feel. But like, yeah, it was really cool. Um I want to shout out um, the one of my favorite lines was it's like it's like you like warfare. You take a little bit and you leave the others like your salad bar, which was just <laughs> hilarious, <laughs> like just a thrown in little moment that like really took me off guard because I don't think I had quite internalized the humor of it yet. And I, I know I butchered that line, so I apologize, oh, listeners. Oh. But it was hilarious. I just one thing, like I'd say, in terms of the appropriation, like a lot of these, like James Wong and Dennis Dunn, like they went on to work with Carpenter again. Like I think both appear in uh, Prince of Darkness. Uh, I think like Wong is the professor in that, and Dunn is one of the students. Like in some of those things, where like if you didn't enjoy collaborating with that director, if you felt disrespected, if you felt like this was an awful experience, you wouldn't come back to work with him again. And I think I don't know a lot about John Carpenter, like personally when he was making these movies, but it seems like he often kept the same crew of persons like Dean Cundy worked in a lot of his early movies, obviously the collaborations with Deborah Hill, Tommy Lee Wallace on a lot of his early films. And he had a 
kind of like, you know, we mentioned Tarantino earlier, like Tarantino has like a troupe of actors that consistently work with him. There were a troupe of performers that consistently worked with John Carpenter. And I think that's something that you earn as a director. Like you're able to kind of like your performers or your crew trust that you're, they're in good hands, that they're going to be respected, that they're going to be given the best material possible. Uh, and that their efforts are going to be uh, appreciated and rewarded. So if if the performers in in Big Trouble like really felt like disrespected in any way, like well, they came back and kept working with them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's always the that to me is like the most important thing. Like at the end of the day, it's like the persons that are working on this movie. How do they feel about the material? How they were treated and how they were represented? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I want to say we are four white people talking about this. Yeah, so if yeah. you have different thoughts, if you are a Chinese listener and you want to share your thoughts with us, we would love to hear them. Um, and if we said anything fucked up, like, yeah, please let, please us, let know us know so we can correct it in the future. You know. Direct your comments to Mike's Twitter handle. I'm not part of this. Um, <laughs> At Mike underscore Snoonian on Twitter. <laughs> you can apply my favorite Kurt Russell to Mike. My favorite line that he says is, son of a bitch must pay. we are also going to link all of the uh, articles that dan posted to that dan posted to our synopsis jesus what's wrong with me today i think in laura i think either you or dan said it like the the i think laura we were talking off air like the criticisms of this movie tend to come from people that look like us and i think that there's this real this part will probably get edited out because i'm going to stumble over a little bit but i sometimes feel like we try so hard to be always be correct and always appear correct that we sometimes like overcorrect. Uh and I think Laura you made a really good distinction between how the culture is represented in this movie versus like Gremlins. And I remember when we did Gremlins like when you were first kind of posting your thoughts on it I felt kind of like I'm like eh, I don't and I had to interrogate like why do I feel so like I don't know if attacked is the right word. I feel attacked right now. <laughs> yeah, I feel, yes. Um, mm. But you were right. Like a lot of the things in that movie, like when you go back and watch it, and I, I don't like the phrase problematic. I just think that, you know, because I don't think that anyone intended to be insulting when they did it, but it's like, oh, look how far we've come in 30 years or 40 years. Like it's a different looking at old art through the current lens and not, putting and not realizing like yeah we're in a different era we're in a different culture like is it not a dangerous thing but it kind of doesn't give you the full picture yeah well i think like as a white person i think that the instinct of i'm going to question whether this is racist or offensive that is a good instinct to have and if we overcorrect right now then i don't necessarily like that's maybe the better of the the options but what it then becomes our job to listen and see if we got it right and if we didn't get it right or if we like kind of misunderstood something then we need to listen and not be offended by the people that tell us that and then just like keep going forward and keep talking about it it's being afraid to talk about it i think that is the problem so i i guess that's where and i get what you're saying i guess that's where like and i understand that what you're saying like it's you know we can say something is like 
racist or we can say something is problematic but then when someone from that culture comes back and says well actually it's not here's yeah. why then you're like well you don't really know your culture right. exactly well yeah that's, that's <laughs> the issue that it runs into it's like uh-huh. oh well you're just like you've been brainwashed by the man and i just find that like super patronizing yeah, so, yep totally. others. yeah it should always be a conversation and right. not like yeah, that anybody people i've talked to and it's like you know the older it's the cliche of like the baby boomer no offense to the boomers or every generation but they'll be like that <laughs> heart is in the right place like i don't see color and then you talk to people of color and they're like no That's see awful. color acknowledge it like yeah. you can't yeah. just uh-huh. oh really motherfucker yeah, yeah. you can't just mm-hmm. ignore it completely and also like yeah you can't necessarily be vicariously offended on behalf of people if they tell right. you they're offended listen to them but don't tell them they mm-hmm. should be offended Mm-hmm. Well, right. and, and and when I did the research on the Gremlins episode, because it was something where I was watching it going, some of this doesn't sit right yeah. with me. And I found a lot of essays by people of Asian descent right. who were, you know, and, you know, speaking to it from a critical lens. Again, not completely condemning that movie or calling anyone involved in the production like a bad person, but just talking about how it's mm-hmm. aged and, and the different perceptions of it. And in this movie, I did Google around and based on the, the the links that you shared, Dan, I didn't find a lot of criticism from people of Chinese American or Chinese descent harshly critiquing this film or calling mm-hmm. it racist. It doesn't mean that there isn't someone out there that has a problem with some aspect of it, but it didn't seem to be out there that I was able to really find. People were discussing how race is represented in this film, but I didn't really see any thorough takedowns of it, you know? And so mm-hmm. if, if those are out there, please send them our way. But mm-hmm. um, that was how I approached it. Yeah. Well, and now it's time for an uplifting moment. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my brain stopped. Um, This is where we share any grounding techniques or self-care that's been helping us recently. Grounding and coping techniques are little tips, tricks, mantras, and practices that help us get through the tough moments and the tough days. And self-care can be anything we do to take care of ourselves or that helps us feel better. Um, And I, oh God, I tried to just sleep this week. As I have been talking about, I've realized how little sleep I um get because of like forcing myself to stay awake and do work and so I promised my therapist that I would try to get at least six hours of sleep this week and um just the panic in my heart that arose when I said that to her let me know like okay maybe there is an issue here you know so I've been trying to go to sleep at 10 and I've gotten a lot of sleep this week and it has made me feel a little bit better but I don't know so that's just my I don't know where that's going. That's an internal struggle that I'm having is like, I want to stay up really late and my body won't let me because some of this new medication makes me tired. And I'm like, oh, maybe it's making me sleep like a normal human being as (laughs) opposed to like making me tired, you know? So I don't know. That's where I'm at. But I have felt a little bit better getting more sleep this week. So it's good. (laughs) Uh. I'll just say my therapist recommended some stuff that I haven't really tried yet, but it's called the sound and safe protocol, but mostly it involves listening to music in the 10 to 30 Hertz range that is allegedly supposed to stimulate your polyvagal nerve or your vagal nerve or polyvagal something, something, (laughs) no fucking clue, but it's apparently based on the work of somebody out of the university of Chicago 
So I'm going to be looking more into this. I did find a playlist with some of this music on there and it was horrible. So I'm going to look for other music <laughs> yeah. that's in the 10 to 30 because it sounded like a horror film soundtrack. It was like, mm. but it's all that like binaural beat kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, it's supposed to have a, a rebalancing effect on your overall equilibrium. And Lord knows uh, my equilibrium is bad <laughs> right now. It's bad. I mean, it's bad. Because human hearing goes down to 20 hertz. And most musical equipment that we listen to music on, like, cannot reproduce. Like, if you can get below 40 hertz, like, you have something that's really close to accurate. Like, do they recommend what to play it back on? Because, like, if you're listening to I have not earbuds, researched yeah. this at all. Okay. I'm just, I, lo- I wrote it down on this notebook that's lying next to yeah. me, and then I have proceeded to not do any further research. Fair enough. But uh, that that's the thing that I'm supposed to be doing to take help take care of myself. Yeah. So, <laughs> I again, I don't know. Uh, to be DVD, if any listeners have any thoughts on this or experience with it or can recommend a pair of uh, really good headphones. At Mike Snoonian. Yeah, just at me. All of your show things going forward. So I used to be an audio guy, and like yeah. that to me, like that to me, it sounds like listen to this if you want to clean your bowels out because like that's what it would. Do. I mean, maybe the that's what note. happens. Maybe. I don't know what's wrong with me. Maybe I need that. <laughs> It could just be you need a good shit, and then after that, you're fine. I hope yeah. it's the brown sound. Brown I hope it's like somewhere. those guns that, that the cops <laughs> point at you when you're protesting now. I, I hope to shit myself in the mm-hmm. near future, preferably while working. Okay. Speaking of the Someone else want to talk? Oh, good luck on your journey. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll step in with mine. Um, so I'm kind of a suspicious person. I, I think, like, my background in, like, education, like, went to law school, had, you know, kind of taught to be the trust but verify, like a little cynical. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not big into like cosmic events, magic, that type of thing. And I've always struggled with meditation, you know, and I, I'm a person who has, I've shared with Jen, but like I'm an obsessive compulsive person and have had to deal with that for years. So it's very hard for me to quiet my brain. Uh, it's just like something's always like, I'm going to miss something or it's just very hard. Mm-hmm. So Somebody recommended that I sign up for this. Uh, it's called the Peace Breathing Method. It's from the Peace School. And they have a center right near me here in Chicago on Lincoln. And it was the first meditation instruction that ever really worked for me. And, you know, they always say, like, sit for 20 minutes. And this was like, no, we're just going to sit for five. We're not, you know, we can get to that point. But that's not, like, a mm-hmm. goal necessarily. That's just where you can go. But even if you're mm-hmm. on the bus and you have some time before your stop, you close your eyes. And what they do for the introduction is when you breathe in, you think world, you hold it. And when you exhale, you say peace. And the school's method is they just want as many people that they connect with to just be having thoughts and putting out that sort of vibe into the universe of world peace. And every day they offer up a prayer for a different neighborhood in Chicago and a different country of the world. And it was just very relaxing. Um, I, you know, I still struggle with meditation, but if I'm able to get those mm-hmm. five minutes on the train or the bus, to just not have my phone out, you mm-hmm. know, focus on the breathing. And it's the kind of thing I'm like, if me saying world peace going to fix things, I don't know, but it's not going to make things worse. And mm-hmm. it can only help to put that positivity out there. Um, so that's something mm-hmm. that really helps uh, with me when I'm feeling kind of overwhelmed. 
Hmm. It sounds a little closer to transcendental meditation. I think the common way it's taught on the apps and what have you these days is called like mindfulness yeah. meditation, yeah. whereas transcendental meditation was always rooted more to like a mantra or something like that. It was like, you know, kind of like stuff out of the 60s. So it sounds cheesy, mm-hmm. but sometimes just having like an anchor to hang your brain on. I, mm. I also find because I'm also OCD and have trouble meditating. But so I found that I have to have a phrase or something that I repeat or a, a four mm-hmm. count like box breathing or otherwise. Mm-hmm. I cannot focus my brain on it, you know? Yeah, I struggle with mindfulness and just being, because I find myself obsessing over whether or not I'm being mindful enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It can be, it can be very difficult. Yeah. So my wife and I like settled in for like a movie night last night. We were going to do Die Hard at a drive-in, but it got postponed because of weather. So we're like, we just needed something to watch together. And we narrowed it down to like the new Nick Cage movie, Pig. And then the new Bobcat Goldwaith documentary, uh, Joyride. And I, I'll share here, I love Bobcat Goldwaith. Like he <laughs> is actually one of my favorite filmmakers. I think I've probably watched Shakes the Clown like dozens of times in my 20s. Like it's one of those movies we like threw on at the end of every like punk rock party when we were just crashing on the sofa. It was that, The Invisible Maniac, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1 and 2. Like those are the four movies in our rotation every week. Aside from that, he's gone on to do these incredible movies like World's Greatest Dad, which gives this completely like understated performance by Robin Williams. Um, Willow Creek, if you're a horror fan, uh, God Bless America. He just is just phenomenal satirical edge. Um, and he's just like his persona has mellowed out so much in the past 20 years. So Last Call is, oh, sorry, Joyride is him and Dana Gould documenting like their stand-up tour they do did together like in the movie is like a third of them just driving in a car like shooting the shit and then the other two-thirds are them on stage and there were moments in it where i laughed so hard that i had tears streaming down my face and just completely lost it to the point where my like daughter ran downstairs and was like is dad dying (laughs) They talk a lot about mental health in this in this movie. So like obviously Bobcat was like tremendous friends with Robin Williams. So he touches on his friendship there and you know he says like you know people and he also like he opened for Nirvana when they were on their first big hmm. tour. So like the movie ends like Dana Gould is like so you were good friends with Kurt Cobain and that happened and you were really good friends with Robin Williams. Who's your best friend right now? And it ends with him hugging Dana Gould on stage. They talk like, you know, like, did you ever talk about suicide? He's like, that's all we talked about. It'd be like, you know, we were comedians. Like, that was every day for us. Like, we talked mm-hmm. about this all the time. It'd be like, hey, congratulations on your Oscar. Great. How would you do it? Oh, with a car. You know, mm-hmm. just. Mm-hmm. And Dana Gould talks about having a week-long stint where he couldn't go to sleep. Like, literally for one week where doctors were like, are you on drugs? And he's like, no, I just, I'm panicked. And he talks about, like, calling his dad, who he hadn't spoken to for like 20 years and uh, he he described his dad as an aneurysm with hair, but he (laughs) talks about kind of like letting his dad know all of these things that kind of hurt him and his dad being incredible about it. So a lot of the movie touches on mental health. It's really moving. It's one of those things. And again, like I just say, this is someone who thinks Bobcat Goldwaith is a national treasure that should be protected at all costs. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly funny, but if you're into mental health at all and you can laugh at how fucked up depression and anxiety and all these triggers are, I mean, you kind of have, I have to sometimes or else mm-hmm. 
I'd be much worse off. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to this podcast, I hope because hope. otherwise we, we <laughs> right. certainly offended you. <laughs> yes. Um, so it's called Joyride. It's only like 72 minutes long. I would kill for a three hour cut of it. <laughs> I cannot recommend it enough. Like it's mm-hmm. just tremendous. Like I didn't yeah. think you could sell me on a Bobcat Goldthwaite thing because I have a lot of negative bias towards Mint, but you just did. Like really, I, in terms of it. his like acting or his things he's directed or uh, from Police Academy for I. Think, oh, he's like, no longer that dude. Yeah, and that's what I've heard. He, and that yeah, he talks about how the success of that made him so miserable that he tried to destroy his career. Really, and how when he learned like success and happiness aren't he's like i'm content am i always happy no mm-hmm. he's like but i would rather make these little movies and live in an apartment and just that hundreds of people see mm-hmm. than be a guy that used to play stadium he talks about people unfollowing him he's like motherfucker i used to play stadiums like you're 20 years behind the curve <laughs> millions of people have unfollowed me mm. <laughs> so he talks about how like he hated being that person really and how it just made him so miserable and how mm. he see like my, when the movie was ended because it does touch on like there's a lot of clips from early in his career mm-hmm. that you would hate you'd be mm-hmm. like fuck this <laughs> and he talks about how and my wife was like he seems like such a better person mm-hmm. now i'm like yeah like, that's that's kind of it like he really he really does the call me lucky documentary was really good too that was one of the first times oh, i, I was like see that. oh it's like yeah. very powerful but he he so he mm-hmm. started directing i think for jimmy kimmel when he first got on the air and that's when mm-hmm. he kind of found like a love for being behind the camera and he's so much yeah. more like mellow and kind of zen now yep um but yeah, yeah. No, i really want to check out joyride like he definitely sold me on it i know yeah well, we want to know what you think. Do you also love Bobcat Goldthwait? Do you also love Big Trouble in Little China? What's the weirdest thing you've ever tried to cut in half? And what <laughs> grounding and self-care is working for you? Or what else is on your mind? You can share all of this uh, and more with us by following us at Pod on socials. You can also join our Facebook group, the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group, which is a private and moderated group where we can share a little more privately. Or you can email us at psychoapod at gmail.com if you'd like to share even more super duper privately Uh, (laughs) and if you like what we do you can leave us a review on apple itunes it really helps people find the pod and it makes us feel good um thank you for those who have already left us a review and for those who are about to um it really only takes a minute and it's really the best way you the best thing you can do to help other people find the podcast and our homework question for this week is what is your favorite folktale from your culture which i am super excited to hear about because i think folktales and folklore it's just really really fascinating so all right so next up for us we are embarking on a new theme for the month of december not gonna lie i'm a little nervous about it um we are going to be talking about body dysmorphia just in time for the holidays i know (laughs) and we are kicking body horror month off with the richard bachman film thinner yay thinner Make sure to check that out for next episode. And in case that's not enough of us for you, Mike, what is going on in the world of Patreon? Sure. So you can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash psychoanalysis podcast. And we want to thank our latest patron, Veronica, for just signing oh, up with us a couple hey, days ago. Veronica. Um, at the Mads Mickelson as Hannibal Lecter level, Ooh. which is the $10 tier. So thank you so much for signing on. 
what kind of content do you get as a patron? Well, all patrons get at least one bonus episode, which is either just kind of a comfort horror bonus one or a Q&A episode. And this month we'll be doing the Q&A episode. Uh, we've got a few questions. I'll start kind of parsing through. And Jen, I think you have a few that we haven't gotten to. Mm-hmm. So we should have enough material for that. We do something called the medicine chest at another tier where you get our recommendations. And then this is where I'm, I'm coming at you listeners and patrons. <laughs> this is Mike's got a bone to pick. <laughs> I got a bone to pick because we're going to be doing, we, I either do a treatment plan, which is where I take a character from a horror movie diagnose them and come up with like here's like a method of counseling that could possibly work for them or we do a fan commentary and this month we're going to do a fan commentary we had kind of picked non-horror movies because like i've done like 300 horror movie episodes at this point (laughs) in like two years and be nice to do something different so like we all picked a non-horror movie to do and then i put as a fourth thing like fourth choice literally any horror movie (laughs) i kind of want to do the shittiest movie of all time now that everybody (laughs) because i really wanted to do rocky and i begged listeners please vote for rocky because i started taking notes for it figuring it would win i rewatch it again like i just want to talk about rocky so we can do rocky next time like we can but you know (laughs) it's not soon enough (laughs) you know it's not soon enough yeah should we say what we did decide to do? Because any horror movie won, right? Yeah, any horror movie won. Did we pick bastards. a movie? We... <laughs> I hate all of you. I think we decided on Silent Night, Deadly Night, right? Yeah. Oh, that's We're right. We it. did. Where boobs Silent make Night, Santa kill. Deadly Night. Kind of want to do like Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, like do a really <laughs> shitty one. I'm going just to see Wait, that's just punishing us. You're just punishing us. I'm going to see that with Joe Bob in a couple weeks. Silent Night, Deadly Night. Oh, wow. Wait. Like, in what capacity? Like, is he at Music Box? Oh, really? Okay, interesting. I didn't know that. Well, maybe I will. Maybe (laughs) I will. (laughs) Like, out of spite or, like... (laughs) I I just want to keep going, maybe I will, in an increasingly high-pitched voice. Until, for an hour. Yeah. It just we go mad <laughs> so we are gonna do it'll be really fun because silent yeah. night deadly night is a lot of fun mm-hmm. i'm old enough to remember the controversy around that movie when it came out uh which seems so quaint now mm-hmm. was so, it 1980 yeah. it was 85 85 so, yeah it was 85 it's like right at the tail end of slashers you know mm-hmm. are you uh, kickboxing yeah, I'm doing martial arts. I've been standing today, which puts me in a more energetic mood. I just like raised my desk up, and so now it makes me want to just, I want to shadow box. Oh, I'm so jealous of your standing desk. That's the one thing I miss from working in an actual office is standing desk. Okay, I'll stop. Plugs. <laughs> yes, let's wrap up with some plugs. Um, Dan, where can we find you online if we want to yell um, at you, even though you tried to deflect it to Mike? Yeah, so you sent me, I made all Mike's stuff. No, um, so uh, Dan Fleer. No one yell at Dan. Dan Fleer at most social uh, media handles. Um, I'm on the Losers Club with two of the people here. We have a lot of fun. We do deep dives <laughs> yes. into Stephen King, and we have some really fun stuff coming up this month. Mm-hmm. Um, and then within the Losers Club, I have a little neat show called The Dark Tower Detour where mm-hmm. they allow me to geek out uh, really deep into the Dark Tower lore. In the last episode, we broke down a very specific battle, and like I like to figure out, like, what are the munitions on each side? And get really kind of nerdy. <laughs> and in the new one, we're going to break down the Merlin's Rainbow, which is the orbs that exist uh, that have a magic Ooh. correspondence. So it's kind of like Alex Jones, but with a tinfoil cowboy hat, I always say. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, so. 
See oh, you there. That's awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it a is lot. really good time. <laughs> of course. Thanks for oh, thanks yeah. for being here. <laughs> yeah, this was so much fun. Yeah, it does feel like a losers club um psychoanalysis crossover. Yes. <laughs> um, Mike, where can we find you? So you can find me ranting on street corners, uh, <laughs> apparently. You can find me on Twitter at Mike underscore Snoonian, where you can hear my controversial takes on everything. <laughs> you can find me on Letterboxd at Mike Chump Change. Yeah, and you can find my other show, The Pod and the Pendulum. Uh, as we get into December, we are going to be returning with new episodes, and we're going to be covering Gremlins this month. I've got some really <laughs> nice speaking guests. Of which. Speaking of which, <laughs> so Sorry. I'll be again. I'm not shitting on Gremlins. <laughs> no, but I think that it was. You're, I know you're not, and I think that it's it'll be relevant and it'll be discussed when we come because you know it's you're not wrong. Um, Joe Dante even said it was an interesting episode, and then I have to live with the knowledge oh, that Joe right. Dante heard yep. me call the movie racist. Yes, <laughs> yes you called Joe Dante out. Um, so, so yeah, we'll be covering Gremlins, and then I kind of looks like scream five comes out in january and i kind of want to revisit the first scream movie it was our first ever episode and it's one where i had to re-record all the dialogue so mm -hmm. because i didn't record it the first time and it sounds like i'm whispering and i kind of want to go back like three years later and just rewatch that movie with guests and do mm -hmm. that and then do scream five mm -hmm. and then i think we're going to do child's play after that as our next oh franchise so yeah that's what's coming up i'm pretty excited to kind of <laughs> get back into it again um laura you can find me on twitter at underalls u-n-d-e-r-a-l-l-s much like a pair of underpants which if you think about it are <laughs> like a muscle tank for your genitals yeah think about it <laughs> that's at underalls u-n-d-e-r-a-l-l-s on twitter uh i'm occasionally on the losers club halloweenies podcast as well otherwise i'm, I'm doing other stuff leave me alone <laughs> kickboxing away <laughs> oh no my my back actually really hurts oh right no now. i'm sorry <laughs> that's why i'm standing if, <laughs> you like a, if we did a high leg kick and just fell over that would be <laughs> that would, that's what would happen if i actually tried to do a high kick right now i'm also in like slippery so like socks so. oh yeah <laughs> Oh, um, well, you can find me at Jim Ferratu on all of social places. You can also find me co-hosting the Losers Club um, podcast. And Dan, Laura, and I just did a commentary on Pet Cemetery recently, which you can find on the Losers Club Patreon, which is also where you can find the Dark Tower Detour, which is a really cool series. Um, and lots of other fun stuff. The book coming up this month is The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, and I got to get started reading on that. Um, because I'm hosting that episode and then there's lots of other fun stuff coming up we've got some we're talking about the um, best king stories for Thanksgiving so I'm excited about that because there are some interesting stretches we came up with um, <laughs> so yeah and you can also find me on the white ladies in crisis podcast and I think we are going to be doing just a little bit of the sex in the city coverage we're going to see how that show plays out and then I also convinced them to let me geek out over ghosts so those are coming up there and you can also find me just writing in various places. And the Strong Female Antagonist blog is coming back. I kind of let it go for a little bit, but I'm going to watch Inside this week and 
Hopefully oh not die oh, wow. and then write something about it. So I hope you're okay. I know. <laughs> I I may take my anxiety pill before it starts. Just to, we're gonna watch that with your idea. old friend Zanny. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but so look for that in December, probably. Um, yeah, and that's our episode on Big Trouble in Little China. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for introducing me to this fantastic movie. This was just so much fun. I'm glad you guys didn't think it was a waste of your time. So it's, I'm happy to hear positive <laughs> feedback. Oh, no, absolutely. It was and again, wonderful. and thank you very much for having me on. This is just really fun to kind of geek out with you guys about this movie. Aww. So. Yes, we'll come back anytime. Um, Listeners, thank you so much for spending time with us. We really appreciate it. And please make sure to take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And with that, let's sign off. Uh, Speaking of John Carpenter, we came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves. And we're we're all out of bubblegum.